Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Jim Terry is a strategic communications executive with nearly three decades of experience working in the state, local, and federal politics including serving as the political director for the U.S. presidential campaign. A veteran of Capitol Hill, Jim has a special knack for helping businesses and organizations navigate the turbulence at the intersection of business and politics. From taxes to the culture wars, Jim has a unique approach to communicating in today's outrage-driven environment, including the five opportunities most businesses are missing. Jim has appeared on Fox News, CNN, and countless talk show uh, or across the country and has testified before Congress on multiple occasions. I am so excited to have Jim Terry on the DealQuest podcast. Jim, welcome. Corey, great to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Well, folks, listen, I'm excited about this because Jim has a unique um, background and approach and, and view on the intersection of politics and business and business deals, uh, particularly. So I think it's going to uh, bring on um, some um you know, things we haven't necessarily maybe talked about in the last 150 some odd episodes uh, so much. Uh, we've had a little bit of this on, uh, but, you know, it's not our usual topic, but it's so crucial, especially in this day and age. Jim, before we get into all that and, you know, specifically what you do for clients and, and how it impacts deals, I want to take you back to when you were growing up as a little kid, you know, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is a communications, you know, consultant, political strategist might not have been it, but you tell me. Yeah, no, I think uh, probably like most kids, a superhero. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, look, I, I grew up, uh, you know, kind of in the in the backwoods, uh, flyover country, and I think what I wanted to be was out uh, more more than anything out of the backwoods. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think it it's you know, I grew up with uh, I think a deep sense of what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. And uh, I think that's pretty much guided me, you know, since then. And, you know, you know, all of my choices, I've had a kind of a very uh, diverse path of, you know, when you think about uh, landing and strategic communications, I've done everything from build houses to drive trucks to, you know, everything under the sun uh, that you could do to, to, uh, to earn a living. And I think that has given me tremendous insights into, um, you know, what we do now. I always tell people and, you know, politics is just people. And if you got enough of them with you, you win. And you got enough of them against you, you lose. And uh, pretty simple equation, really. And you know what? I mean, even though it's not as well in some businesses it is, but many businesses, not that quite that numbers game in business. It's also, you know, it's the people you surround yourself with, the people you partner with, the people you, you know, who are your clients, who are your employees. I mean, it's still a people game, right? Oh, 100%. And, you know, like just like in deal making, um, 
you know, who you're negotiating with, the character of that person, the, you know, the weight that you can put on their word um, dictates, uh, you know, not only the outcome, but certainly your posture and how you navigate that. And I think that that's the same, same, uh, same thing applies in politics for sure. 100%. All right, I'm going to take you back. One more question looking back. Um, what was the first deal of any type that you can remember doing? It could have been something small when you were a kid or something maybe, you know, early in your career oh, or whatever comes so to mind. First, first deal I ever did, um, you know, that probably would have been um, my first deal would have been mowing lawns. Um, <laughs> you know, there was a, a neighbor across the street from us and I probably would have been, you know, I don't know, 10 or 11. And, uh, you know, for, for whatever reason, my mother decided that I must mow that yard. And, um, so I went over there and I, you know, they were very attentive to this lawn and so they had the most thick grass you can imagine. And so I I managed to go over there and not cut a deal, uh, just to mow her lawn, but to upcharge for the quality of her lawn. Uh, (laughs) I love it. I love it. So you said flyover country. Where, where, where specifically did you? I uh, grew up all over South, uh, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, yeah, yeah. uh, kind of all, all over the all over the South. And did you end up spending some time in D.C.? Is a lot of political. Folks I have. I've spent uh, you know <laughs> spent quite a bit of time uh, in D.C. Uh, spent quite a bit of time in uh, Southern California as well. Right, which is uh, where I happen to be now, my place in Southern California, in Marina Del Rey. Um, so. All right. So let's start talking about, uh, I mean, I know you have some specific examples and experience, and but just conceptually, let's start on a conceptual level, right? Because everybody knows this deal making that goes on in politics, right? Everybody knows this deal making that goes on in business, but how are they the same or different, right? What, what are transferable, you know, uh, skills or, or uh, experiences and maybe how, you know, how do those two realms differ? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the, you know, the, the art of deal making is, you know, trying to get what you want by giving someone else what they want. And, you know, in, in the realm of politics that, you know, can look like, you know, the, the bargain with the voter, right? You want your guy elected uh, or your person elected. And so you've got to figure out what the voter is looking for. And, and, and that's, that's a deal in and of itself. And then you kind of move in, you know, into the capital. It gets, uh, you know, quite a bit more complex with these giant bills. I mean, as you just saw, uh, with the NDAA, the National Defense Appropriations Act, it got hung up, hung up, hung up uh, because you, know, you had, you know, 700 amendments that people wanted. And then you had three or four holdouts and there was a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of trading going on and the ability to give some of those people some votes outside of the NDA that they wanted and able to move the NDA. And uh, ultimately, they went to what they call a pre-conference, yeah. uh, which is where your big four uh, the, the two leaders from both parties and committee chairman, they're kind of pre-negotiating, like if the package looks this way, will you agree to it? Right. And, and they send it back to the House and send it back to the Senate. And that is, you know, sort of the, the probably some of the most raw, straightforward deal making you'll ever, ever kind of witness, I think. Great. And, and um, how does that trend? You know, now, of course, you, you, you work on the business side and, you know, communications and, and we'll get into a little bit more about what you do specifically. But how does that translate into business? Where does it translate and where, where maybe doesn't? Well, it does. You know, you know, when you talk about doing a deal for, um, you know, getting what you want by giving someone else what they want, uh, the same thing comes. You know, when you talk about public relations and strategic communications, you're, you're really talking about telling your story. Yeah. And, you know, I guess maybe unfortunately, 
your story is perhaps most often most interesting to you <laughs> and not necessarily to other people. And so it's really what we do is kind of come in and help people figure out, okay, what's the story you, you're trying to tell? What are your objectives in telling it? Uh, and then find develop messaging and sort of packaging around that that make your story relevant, give other people a reason to care or relate to your story. Uh, and so, you know, the, the sort of the focus on the other party goes through all of it, everything that we do really. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit. Yeah. Let's delve into a little bit about specifically what you do, what type of clients you work with, and then we'll sort of circle back to how that is some specific experiences you've had related to deals. Yeah, sure. So, you know, what we do, as I mentioned is, you know, we help you tell your story, and help help sort of figure out that story, right? And a lot of a lot of times, people kind of have hazy, uh, a hazy perspective on what it is, you know, what their story is, and to help focus on the parts of that that are most relevant, and identify, you know, who, uh, what your objectives are, who, what audience needs to hear your message, um, and then develop a strategy for for reaching that audience, and then develop the messaging that that audience needs to hear, and then the tactics. You know, you get all the way down to the end before you start thinking about pitching reporters or, uh, you know, paid media or anything like that, um, and to help people uh, sort of craft their story. And and you know, when you think about how what that looks like in a, in a deal making or in, in, in the business world, you know, the reality is is you know there used to be this this bright sort of bright line between business and politics, and the reality is is Everything is, is politics now to some degree, and everything is, is should be communication informed because if you're making a decision or a policy or a deal, even if you don't intend for it to be public, you know, in the age of smartphones and Twitter, there's a good chance it's going to be public. And if you can't withstand uh, public scrutiny, then you should probably reconsider that policy or that decision. And so we work through with people to help them uh, define and navigate this intersection between the political risks and uh, the business side. So, so let's talk about some examples where, you know, um, you've, you've helped folks or, you know, where there were political risks or where, you know, this kind of uh, service that you provide help people either get deals done or maybe some situations where, where companies made a mistake and uh, and blew their opportunity at deals because they didn't use somebody yeah. like you or or figure it out on their own. <laughs> yeah, you know, w- w- one of the uh, you know from maybe for your audience from the standpoint of you know deals and mergers and, you know, and sort of acquisitions, one of the issues that that we took on was you had a an industry sector in which there was very few providers uh, or very few manufacturers, and um, there were three bits to to. To, to buy one of these three companies. And two of the bids were coming from their competitors. Yeah. Uh, and one was coming from uh, private equity. And, you know, if any one of those industry markers, because the market was so concentrated, any one of the other industry bids would have triggered a Department of Justice market share review. Right. And so one of the things we were able to do is come in and highlight the fact that the third bid would not trigger those market share concerns. And so, you know, to kind of highlight the preferential nature of that bid for business audiences, for investors, for board of directors, for institutional investors, um, and to sort of uh, paint that picture. And so that story we're trying to tell is, you know, our bid is preferential, uh, is, is, you know, is better than the other bids. And that, that would be the kind of thing that we would do. And on the other side, you know, you have a little bit more, you know, direct action where you have industries that are facing legislation that uh, potentially could, you know, you know, gut them or, you know, or take away market share or a lot of what we do is, is defending, you know, stopping company A from 
using the legislature to gain a competitive advantage on company B. Right. And you fight that out. And so what we would come in and, and define is, yes, it's important to company B to, to do to stop that legislation because it'll hurt company B. But why does the rest of America care? Right. And that's where we would come in and uh, help define those messages and then help deliver those messages. Yeah. So, you know, it's fascinating to think about these examples, right? Because let's go to the first one where, uh, you know, you, you know, the private equity firm is able to argue, hey, you know, there's going to be no, you know, it's going to be much easier through the regulations. You're not going to have any antitrust, you know, uh, market share concerns. Uh, you know, obviously just that, I mean, one, there's a risk of the deal, uh, you know, potentially not getting approved, right? So you have the rest of the deal not going through at all. Um, you know, if you go with one of those, I mean, the argument on the side from a deal lawyer point of view, if I were representing, you know, the other buyers, I would say, well, we're a strategic buyer. There's a lot of benefits in a strategic buyer because, you know, we can, we can combine, we know the industry, we can, we can uh, have economies of scale, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're interested in growth. We've been in the industry, right? So we have, like, they have their story, right? Um, you know, on why they're better than a private equity firm is going to come in just with capital and they don't necessarily have the same expertise we do and connections and maybe not economies of scale. But the counter to that, right, is, is your story, which is on behalf of your client, which is, listen, first of all, you know, what if this deal doesn't get approved, right? You go through the DLJ, it's going to be a high well, concentration risk. Um, you can get knocked out. And besides, even if it may eventually get approved, it's going to slow the deal down. You're going to, you know, the thing's going to drag on. Who knows what's going to happen in the marketplace, right, during that review period. So, you know, it's fascinating how these things can really, you know, I mean, I'm making up the story on the other side, but I've done a lot of deals and I know that, you know, it's usually the the argument for strategic buyers, uh, you know, so that's my guess is probably what was going on. Well, and that's, and that's the, uh, you know, that's the bottom line, right? There's two sides to every story, um, but he who defines it usually wins. Right. I mean, you think about it from a legislative standpoint, uh, which is, you know, there's a bill and one side says this is going to cure cancer and the other side says this is going to destroy our healthcare system. Right. Whatever the public is, is convinced of, that typically is how you're going to see Congress vote on that, right? In the same way, you know, in, in, the, in these deals is he who wins that debate, which is the bigger concern, which is the bigger threat, which is the bigger benefit to investors, you know, there's no guarantee, certainly, but you, you have a fighting shot and you certainly have a fighting shot if you don't let them state their case while you sort of stand down and you're not on the field. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is, I mean, not, not to, not to take a side politically, but you know, there's a reason why, for example, uh, you know, it, you know, the Democrats want to, you know, it's the affordable care act, right. That's not accidental that, you know, it's the affordable care act, right. Because one of the big concerns about that was, well, is how much is it going to cost? So why, you know, the part of the story they're saying, no, 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 we can, you know, <laughs> you know, um, and again, I'm not saying that negatively. I'm saying I mean, we can pick out 12, hundred examples on, all, yeah. uh, all aspects of politics, you know, nobody, nobody calls them I mean, the Patriot Act, right? Let, let's take one on the Republican side, right? Patriot Act, you know, it, it, nobody's going to name these things in, you know, in, in their worst light. They're always going to pick the best aspect of it and then, you know, use that to try to tell a story, right? Oh, 100 percent. You know, and the, you know, the big thing on Capitol Hill is the acronyms, you know, the HELP Act or the the SAFE Act or the, right. you know, and, and, and it's an extraordinary ability to combine an acronym and a story all in the same time. It, it is an extraordinary talent. But, uh, you know, and you think about, you know, the, the you talk about the the Affordable Care Act, too. And that, that's an instructive sort of lesson. You know, one of the one of the more famous quotes out of that that time period was Nancy Pelosi saying, well, you got to pass it to find out what's in it. 
Right. And, um, you know, and, 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 and that's an instructive sort of thing, because when you think about how, how these programs and how these governments work is what she knew is that once this building was built, you would never tear it down. Yep. Right. Now, new tenants or new, new, new owners may take over. They may rearrange the furniture. They yep. may close off a few floors. They may, you know, change the wallpaper, but that building will endure. And, you know, this is what you see kind of in an incrementalism, you know, approach to, to things that once you build and institute a program, it, it endures. And this was one of the kind of the big hangups on the Build Back Better uh, that, you know, like Manchin and, and, you know, is having is they're saying these programs are going to last for three years. And he's saying, well, we, we both know that's not true. And it, it's, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, once, once something is instituted in government, it is rarely, I mean, it was what, in, into the late, in the late 90s, early 2000s, before the phone tax that was put into place to fund the Spanish-American War was removed. That is so true. It is so true. Whether that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, everything yeah, from things like the football. I mean, listen, look at, look at, you know, Social Security, look at, uh, you know, any of the depression era, you know, programs and how long they've been around, you know, on the flip side, you know, once you talk, cut taxes, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to put them back. Defense spending, you know, you know, however it is, right? I mean, the percentage of our of our uh, government that's spent on defense spending, it's, you know, it's, it, it's tough. Things are, I mean, institutions, no matter what they are, and again, whatever, you know, it's, it's true across the political spectrum. Once things get entrenched, boy, it's hard. Yeah, institutions' job is to preserve and and it survived, right? right. Uh, you know, and I think getting back kind of the, to the dealmaker side of this too, when you think about the concept of he who defines it usually wins, yep. you know, you think about that in terms of defining the deal, like why is, why is this deal, you know, good for me, but why is it good for them? Why is it good for the public? Why is it good for consumers? Why is it good for employees? Yep. But, you know, but also I think, you know, he who defines it win can also be about you, the deal maker. How are you defined in this deal? Are you defined as a villain who's going to strip it down? Or are you defined as, you know, and particularly when you talk about something, you know, institutions and, you know, like buying media companies or, you know, perhaps it's some beloved local institution that you're buying is not just about the money, right? A founder has this founder's love for for his or her company, the, the character of you, your character and how you're going to you're going to treat this asset when you have it matters as well as to whether yeah. or not because you know, somebody else can come along with you know with the same same money or same bid and so entering these deals and and carefully managing your own own image and telling your own story about who you are i think is is as important as talking about the deal itself yeah it's strangely because i think i think this came up i recorded a podcast like last week and I just watched it and it was relevant there. Um, I hadn't watched the movie Pretty Women Woman in like forever. And it happened to be, I was in a hotel room and it happened to be on and I saw part of it. And um, yeah, you look at R- Richard Gere's character, right? And he went from a, you know, corporate writer, what, you know, companies to break him up, you know, and then at the end, you know, he's with the old man, we're going to build ships, right? You know, <laughs> so, you know, so uh, you know, he, he happened to change his story uh, mid deal, which is, not usually what happens, but you know, but it was a movie. So, <laughs> although I don't know, I think there is a, a degree of wealth that allows that luxury. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's it's interesting how um, you know. You, I mean, you hear about um, 
you know, one of, I've done some sort of, you know, studying on like presidents and things like that, whatever. And, um, you know, and, and how things have really gotten done over the years. And it's interesting, the context of, you know, deal making in, in politics. I mean, for, you know, so for example, you know, obviously, you know, Kennedy gets, um, JFK gets a lot of credit for spurring civil rights, uh, you know, movements. But of course, he he got assassinated and it was Johnson who really was a backroom deal maker, politician, right? Had been in Congress for years, knew how to play the game, you know, who was the one who got that, you know, helped get that legislation through. Um, and you see that over and over again, you know, um, you got to know, I mean, any kind of deal, whether it's in any particular industry, whether it's in politics, you know, there's, there's a certain way the game is played and, and, you know, knowing how to, how to work, it makes a difference. Right. Well, absolutely. You need the tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan example, all of those stuff. And, and I think that, you know, just from a political standpoint today too, you, you can't say that that kind of deal making is dominant, right? Because right. you have an environment where call them negotiating partners are not speaking. They're speaking about each other. Yeah. You know, um, and often in not kind terms uh, rather than sort of speaking to each other. And in that environment where you have, you know, the, you know, sort of the, the, the deal makers that can go in and you, you take the NDAA, for example, at some point, somebody had to stop talking about each other and started talking to each other. Right. And I think the rarity of that too Whoever is making the decision to be that that party is tremendously empowered right now. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreykupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreykupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Listen, it's, it's funny for me as, as somebody, who, you know, as a deal maker who believes in the, in the, in the power of deals for good. Like, you know, like there are, uh, yes. I mean, I think, listen, one of the things I talked about is really doing a line deal making. It's like, you know, I mean, deals can be done for bad reasons as well, but if you really do it from a place of, you know, um, um, from a good place, from being clear, you and I, before we uh, started recording, we're talking a little bit about, right. Clear objectives and then strategy and right. And then, right. Um, you know, in the, in the context of whatever it was, you know, podcast books, business, politics, whatever. Um, but um you know, it really can. I mean, if, you know, if you, for the right reasons, uh, you know, to, to serve an audience better, to, you know, to, 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 to serve the public, you know, the public customers better, uh, to create more opportunities and jobs for employees to, you know, move along, a, you know, an agenda for the benefit of the country politically, you know, deals can really be, a, a, you know, a positive um, force. And, you know, and, and again, whatever, you know, without getting into blame and, and views on politics, the, just the fact that um, there are so many few people talking to each other about actually getting stuff done is, is actually, uh, you know, kind of sad to me as a deal maker. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, you know, look, politics has always been, um, you know, a, a challenge and it's always been rancorous. And, yep. you know, we, we, we tend to think about this moment and it is, you know, by by uh, by all definitions, an, an extraordinary moment. But you know, you think about kind of how crazy the times sort of feel and, and uncertain and 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 unstable. 
it can it can feel like that this is you know the craziest time ever. But when you think back through history, we've had a civil war where hundreds of thousands of Americans were killing each other. And yep. what happens is a little bit is it feels like the way history kind of gets treated is everything gets reduced down into kind of this neat little paragraph or two. Yeah. And that that the outcome happened because it had to happen that way. Right. Because, you know, the arc of history bends towards justice and, 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 and all of that. But the reality is, is every moment in history was contingent. It was contingent upon the people that were in that moment, the decisions they made and the plays they made. And, and yeah. you know, and the outcome is the outcome. And, you know, I think that's that's, you know, something to kind of kind of remember, too. But to your point of deals for good and and all of that, you know, I was I was talking with a, a young guy the other day who's kind of, you know, seeking some counsel and he was asking me what the lessons I, you know, I'd, I'd learned. And, you know, I told him that, you know, it's like, for the, the first thing in your career is focus on excellence. If you focus yeah. on excellence first, the money will come. Yeah. Right. And if you're focused on, you know, in this deal, it's if you're focused on doing, uh, you know, if the outcome you're focused on is doing a good deal that's, that's beneficial for everyone else, that deal will line up. If you go into that deal, you know, looking to, you know, run over the other person, then you, you may end up doing that deal. But I guarantee you, there'll be, there'll be heartburn on the other side of it. Yeah, no question. That's something, I, and that's something I preach all the time. You know, um, especially in business, many deals have some sort of ongoing relationship element to them, right? Yep. You're merging two companies. You're doing a marketing deal, a distribution deal, a part business partnership, whatever. So you know the the negotiation and getting the, the initial deal done is only part of the entire business relationship. Right. And if you take advantage of somebody in the short run, there it's never you know. It's, 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 it's never going to work out, you know? So yeah, hundred percent, we're hundred percent aligned. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that's interesting to me, so that I just, just popped into my mind, you know, on how sometimes, and you know, again, you could judge for good or for bad. I, I will give away my view on this one. I don't think it was for good, but um, uh, you know, where, where uh, different political decisions affect, uh, you know, deals. So for example, um, media, right. There used to be restrictions. And the, and these were changed, by the way, people think that some of it was changed on the Reagan, some of it was changed on the Clinton. It wasn't one side or the other. Uh, you know, we used to have fairness doctrine, used to have uh, restrictions on um, on how many media, major media, you know, outlets somebody could own in a particular city. So you couldn't own a, uh, you know, a, a radio station and a newspaper, a TV station and whatever. And, you know, um, you know, that's, that, that's, that's all gone away. Now what that's caused from a deal side is significant acquisitions, consolidation, right? All kinds of deals that brought it together. Um, I, I like when there was more, more diversity and people say, well, when the internet came in, that, that democratized everything. But then of course that got consolidated, and, you know, and down, you know, to a few players that really control what we see and what we hear on the algorithms. So, um, you know, I don't know if, I mean, you know, it's just interesting to me though, it sort of, you know, um, makes the point that we uh, raised and you, you raised at the beginning and that there has always been this interplay between, you know, politics and how it impacts business. And, and of course, part of that is, you know, is deals consolidation in the media industry is just an example of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think too, you know, beyond the structural legal and, and, and that, that structural legal is there, but I think we're, we're a lot of business businesses and deals, you know, there's this sort of demand now that you be overtly sort of political and you have these sort of dominant narratives that this is the only policy or the only decision or the only answer, or you have to, you know, this has happened, you know, and so therefore this is the only acceptable response. And there's a lot of pressure to 
follow those sort of dominant narratives. The problem is the dominant narratives in, say, labor law <laughs> aren't necessarily always in sync. And that's, and that's a, a sort of a big challenge. And so, you know, this guy went and did something on his own time. Twitter blows up about it. And, you know, you decide, well, I've got to, I've got to, you know, I've got to crucify this person because otherwise my brand is at risk. And you do. And you're rewarded on Twitter until you get to labor law court. And, you know, and there, and that's, that's, that's a, you know, cause the, cause the, the, the challenge of that is, is both sides of that are equally real threats, right? There's right. a real threat right. to your brand. Uh, if you don't sort of capitulate to the, to the dominant narrative, but it's also a real threat to your, to your business if you do, you yeah. know? And so that's a, you know, a lot of businesses are being put into, uh, you know, a difficult place. And that's where, you know, what we talk about in those kind of moments is you have to find the, that high moral ground, yeah. right? Yeah. And in that higher moral ground, you have to decide what your values are. And if you're going to value, uh, you know, free speech, if you're going to value uh, a transparent process, if you're going to, you know, uh, value due process, it won't necessarily be easy and it won't necessarily be pleasant but you have to find that path in between so that you don't, uh, you know, solve one problem and create another. And, that, and a lot of that's what we help people do. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, I mean, listen, uh, although, you know, and, and you've said yourself, you know, that these are challenging times and, and I'm sure, you know, when I, I mean, for it just, it makes services like yours. I mean, I'm sure you, you have to be crazy busy because so many people, I mean, there's so much need for your services these days. And yeah, that decision on, you know, because listen, you see companies all over the map, right? You see companies that have tried to stay neutral, right? And that causes its own problems because if you have something that happens, it's almost like you can stay neutral until something happens where it's impossible to stay neutral. And then you have some companies who've taken very strong, you know, positions, either, you know, let's call it left or right, however you want to conservative, liberal, however you want to divide it. You know, they've just taken, they've, they've, you know, said, hey, this is what we're about. And they understand that that's going to drop off certain amount of customers over here, but we'll, maybe we'll get more over there. Um, so, you know, but just, you know, there's pitfalls, there's, there's um, you know, uh, significant risks in any of these strategies, right? Because, like I said, you can't, you know, it's tough to stay neutral and you take one side or the other. And then, you know, frankly, I've seen situations where people take positions or companies take positions where you think would be, um, favorable, let's say, you know, more right and more left. And then, and then even elements of those, you know, <laughs> are unhappy with them anyway. Right? Well, you know, and, and the reality is, is the dominant narratives change, right? right. And so what was acceptable and right yesterday, five years from now, 10 years from now may not right. and in the internet right. age, nothing ever dies, right? right. You know, it, it always comes, comes, comes back. Um, and so, you know, when you think about like, just from a corporate standpoint, and you think about politics, right? That first of all, you have to understand that politics is by definition, not factual, right? right? It's by definition, a rigged game. So when someone says to you, you know, X, you know, this bill means X, right? And them telling you that they're intended to sway you one direction or another, not sure. necessarily to, to inform you of the facts of that, of that case. Sure. And so when, when these corporations kind of accept something at that level um, and then just sort of go with it, that's where they find themselves in, in sort of a, a lot of trouble. But if you have decided that this issue is important mm -hmm. and you're willing to, I, I'll accept the cost to my brand 
yeah. because I think this is the world I want to live in and I have this platform. This is what I want to do. Um, and, you know, you're willing to accept those costs, but, it's, you know, make sure it's something that you believe in, it's not yeah. something you're parroting. Uh, because there's going to be a cost to it, and you need to believe that that cost is worth it by doing uh, truly understanding the issues, truly understanding the implications, and not just sort of parroting whatever you've heard on on Twitter or because a lot of people on Twitter uh, said it. It seems like a good idea because, as you, as you point out, there's risk on both side of it, and there are very real costs on both side of it. Yeah, and I and and I feel you know people have said this before. I really do believe it's true, and you can say maybe in a way this is one of the positive things about social media and all this stuff. I do think it's harder. There's some plenty negative, but I do think it's harder to like, you know, and, and I'd love your comment on this because it's part of what you do. Right. Um, you know, it used to be that sometimes uh, companies would react to a potential issue, you know, from a PR point of view, messaging point of view, whatever. And, you know, and they'd mostly be calculating what would just be the best um, response to try to quell it or whatever. And, you know, there were fewer ways to suss out whether that was really, just some PR move or whether it was really authentic to who they are, their brands, their values, et cetera. And now there's a lot less tolerance for that and just sort of all ways that it comes out. So I actually think that it's pushed in some ways, some more authenticity, some more deep thought into who, what do we stand for? What are our values? And, and not just, you know, some, some reactive media thing that's going to quell because it's hard to quell stuff uh, if you're not authentic. But yeah, I love well, your I think I think what you've seen is is rather than people trying to to quell it, they choose to capitulate to it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah, and that, yeah. that that has its own set of its own problems, own yeah. set of harms. I mean, uh, I mean, if you look at sort of major league, the major league uh, all star game, they got moved out of Atlanta over the yep. over the bill. Well, you know, the the sort of companies that sort of backed that play said, "Oh, by God, we you know we got to boycott this." The all star game uh, was moved to a state that had actually more restrictive voting laws uh, than, than the state of state. And so this is where kind of the, the, the capitulation and jumping into the right. frame. It was now, reactive, yeah. If you truly believe something and you've, you truly understand the specifics of it, that's a very different equation. Yeah. But I think the other dynamic that companies are facing now um, is not just the public. They're facing their own workforce and a lot yeah. of the companies yeah. find themselves hostage to their own workforce yeah. uh, about what that company should be doing, saying whether or not, because a lot of these companies probably wish they di didn't engage, yeah. but their, 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 their employees and their workforce are, are, you know, demanding that they do. And so, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different, a uh, lot of different uh, pressures now. Yeah. Like somewhat recently, the Netflix and Dave Chappelle, I think, is an example of that, right? Case yeah. in point. Case in point, yeah. So so in terms of it, let's talk a little bit more about what you do. Um, how much of what you do is sort of, you know, reactive to situations with companies and designing, you know, let's, maybe it's more crisis management uh, or, you know, and how much of it is proactive? I'm sure like most folks, you'd... You know, in any profession, you love to work more proactively, but that, but maybe that's not always the luxury. To, you know, yeah. Tell me. Well, I think it's always both, right? Yeah. Um, because even even if you you know are on uh, implementing a proactive sort of strategy, you're taking an action that is eliciting a reaction, that is eliciting a response, and so you're constantly kind of doing both. You're acting and reacting. You know, the idea is to not ever be just reacting 
right? Uh, because that is, you know, if you look at it in terms of, of sports analogies, offense and defense, and a strongest strong defense is a, is, is a strong offense. And, uh, but the other side is still making plays, right? You still have to, you still have to run defense. And so I, I view it as, as kind of both, but also there's a lot of different ways you can uh, blunt and sort of mitigate the, the, the attacks and, and, and the crisis. And part of that is planning. And you think about like, you know, we're talking about companies being hostage to the workforce. How do you devise and articulate policies within your com- company that set the parameters for when that decision comes? But if you have no parameters, you have no other mechanisms for, you know, for outlets for that within your company or whatever, then, you know, it's just, you're, you're faced with the sheer, uh, force of overwhelming number of your employees demanding you do something and you, your choice is capitulate or not. And so uh, a lot of it is also preparation. And a lot of what we're doing too is thinking, you know, five, six moves down the, the field of say, okay, you know, what is the likely path we're going to go? What's the likely reaction and response to this? What was our, you know, sort of baking that into plan A? So in terms of the types of clients you work with, give us a little better idea, you know, types of companies, size of companies, industries, things like that, so people can get a more feel through. Yeah, we're, we're across the board, uh, you know, fairly industry agnostic. Um, our, our clients kind of fall in a couple of different categories. Um, you know, first, just at the organization type, it's typically corporations um, or trade associations or, or nonprofit uh, organizations. Um, whether that's individual organization, individual businesses or, you know, business associations. And within that, you've got a couple of different, a couple of different buckets or, you know, uh, of course, a big part of it is, is politically focused and legislatively focused. You have uh, a, a threat to your business, a legislative threat to your business or a regulatory threat to your business, or you have a something you're trying to achieve. You're trying to undo a bad pass regulation or solve uh, solve some some new problem. And so that's uh, that's that's one on one piece of it. Uh, and then the other is that you have uh, you know whether it's you have a policy you're going to roll out or you have an initiative that you're going to roll out. It's your company. We would help devise uh, and build a media strategy and a public affairs strategy for that. Um, you know, one of, one of the issues, say, for instance, if you have a, say you're a company that sells a security, um, some sort of a security software, you know, solution, um, and you wanted to expand your market share in that. Um, and so you wanted to drive a lot of media coverage around your product. Well, you can just lob it out there and say it's there, but if the rest of the world knows, doesn't know about the problem you're trying to solve, then people don't really care about your solution. So we would work with companies in an instance like that to go out and build the research, build the, uh, you know, the data that sort of demonstrates the scale and the scope of the problem and why that problem matters to the average consumer and why that problem should be on the government's radar. And then, of course, once you've highlighted that problem, you now offer a solution to it. And so it's it's pretty a a wide range of of things. And like, say, we kind of boil it down and reduce it into, you know, whatever your story is, we help you tell your story to achieve your objectives. Love it. Love it. So um, give people the name of the company and the best way to, you know, find out more about your website. Yes, TDS TDS Public Affairs. Uh, Our website is probably the best way to get a hold of us. It's uh, www.tdspublicaffairs.com. And that's TDS Tango Delta Sierra, tdspublicaffairs.com. Love it. Easy enough. Uh, So, um, Jim, my final question of the podcast is always about my highest 
ideal in life, and that's freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom from people from oppression to the reason I'm an entrepreneur and I haven't had a boss in 35 years. <laughs> you know, um, What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Well, I think freedom is, uh, you know, all things flow from it, right? Um, freedom is the ability for you to make decisions that are best for you. Uh, but freedom also gives us the opportunity to shape the world around us, right? Yeah. Not in the sense of, of telling other people what to do or forcing other people what to do. Freedom gives you the, the ability to negotiate and, um, you know, sort of shape the world that you, that you live in um, and to be the person that you've chosen to be and live the life that you've chosen to live. And, uh, you know, I think freedom is, cannot be underestimated. And I'm, I'm hopeful that um, a word that has been taken for granted and taken as an entitlement is uh, due for a sort of a renewed perspective on just how fragile it is, how easily it is taken, and just how much it's worth. I love it. Jim Terry, thank you for being an amazing guest on the Deal Quest podcast. Uh, Corey, thanks for having us on. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, Go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.